Good morning, Harvest. It's good to be here. Hey, why don't you go ahead and uh, grab your Bibles and turn to the book of John, chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, if you'd throw your hand up, we'd love to get a Bible into your hands so you could follow along as we open up God's Word this morning to John chapter 11. And if you don't own a Bible, please for sure throw your hand up and take this book, this Bible that we have for you as a gift home with you. But grab a copy of God's Word, open up to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. As you're turning there, I was, I was thinking about this as I was uh, preparing this sermon, is that every one of us here, I'm sure every one of us loves stories where the undefeatable foe gets taken down, right? I mean, this could go all the way back even to David and Goliath, where, where the little young David steps onto the field against Goliath, and he, and he has this great victory, and we all cheered for David. In fact, if, if, you, if you're hearing that story and you look over and someone's got a Go Goliath shirt on and they're cheering, like you're looking, what are you doing? We're not cheering for Goliath. We cheer for David. We cheer for Rudy. We cheer for the Karate Kid. We cheer for Rocky. We cheer for the Bad News Bears, the Mighty Ducks. We, we, we cheer for Seabiscuit. We cheer for Luke Skywalker, right? Why? Because there's this unbeatable foe. Now you're all going through those movies right now going, right? Did you say Seabiscuit? Bad News Bears? What was that? From the 70s, kids, look it up. It's a really good movie. It's not, actually. But anyway, right? And we, we love to hear, though, these stories of unbeatable foes being defeated. And in, in our world, there is one force that is our greatest foe. Something that we fight all the time. And that this, this foe is death. And, and we may exercise well, we eat right, we get good medicine and good medical care. And yet, the, here's the thing. George Bernard Shaw said it this way, the statistics on death are overwhelming. I think about it. 10 out of 10 people die. All right? And yet what we're going to see this morning is, is that as we look this morning on a Palm Sunday, as we look forward to Easter Sunday, next Sunday, we want to talk about the one who defeated death. And Jesus came in and, and he came to defeat death and show us the truly undefeatable is his love, is his grace. And Jesus steps in, even in this, this story we're going to look at this morning, he steps into what is a very dark scene. He steps, steps into a moment of defeat, of loss, of fear, of mourning, and he steps into where people are desperate for victory. And maybe for you this morning, you come here this morning to church with that same feeling about you, where you're saying, Look, that, that describes my life right now. I'm just hoping, longing, looking for some victory, some resurrection to where life is dead for me. Maybe you've been checking out this whole Jesus thing for a while and you've been kicking the tires and coming to harvest and sort of looking and reading and, and maybe for you this morning, it's, it's that morning you're saying, listen, I, I want to, there to be resurrection in my life. And this morning, I want to take that step where I, I move from being dead in my sin to being alive in Christ. And I want to follow Jesus this morning. Or, or maybe for you, you you're like, no, I, I, I know Christ, but my faith is, has grown cold. I grew up in church, but I just don't feel like I'm, I'm pursuing Christ. I don't feel like my heart is alive anymore. Or, or maybe this morning you need a, a resurrection in your marriage. It's been difficult and it feels dead and you, you need Jesus to step in with, with his resurrection power. Or maybe there's a relationship, a family member or a, a prodigal son or daughter or, or a friendship where, where you're like, I just need Jesus to step in and to show victory. Or maybe for you, it's just the struggles of life. Whether it be, maybe it's finances or work or, or just stress and, and you're uneasy, unsettled. You're wrestling with some things that are uncertain in your life. And you're saying, this morning, I, I need Jesus to step in. I need resurrection. I need victory. And, and maybe you don't even come here with a ton of hope. But you're looking for victory. You're looking for resurrection. This morning, I hope as we dig into the word this morning, here's my prayer. My prayer is that we find the source of life, of resurrection, that there is resurrection power and that we are not called to live as those who are dead. Let me pray before we jump in this morning. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you come with power. 
And you defeated our greatest foe, death. So we know, Lord Jesus, that, that there's nothing in our life where the power of your spirit cannot step in and change dramatically, even this morning. Lord God, I pray. I pray for the hearts of all of us here, where there are parts in our lives, Lord, whether it's sin that's defeating us, whether it's just the circumstances of life. Lord Jesus, would you step in this morning in a way that only you can? Would you take your word and make it alive? God, would you change us this morning? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we jump in here into to John chapter 11, here, here's our first point for this morning. Our life will have trials. Our life will have trials. Now, this isn't earth-shattering news for anybody. No one's like, wow, I didn't know that. Thanks, Pastor Kai. Like, I, like listen, we know this, that life can be hard. I mean, I mean you, over the last two Sundays, P- Pastor Lee brought a phenomenal message speaking to when we suffer. I mean, praise God for, for his word. Praise God for, for bringing us Pastor Lee as well. And what a powerful message that was as we dig into what does it look like in times of suffering. Listen, there will be storms. In fact, listen to the trial going on here in John chapter 11. You got your Bibles open. Verse one says this. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany in the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, to Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. So here we have these two sisters, Mary and Martha. Mary's that one who came in and poured out the expensive ointment on Jesus to to anoint him. Remember that whole story? And Judas gets kind of ticked off. Like, man, what a waste. You could have done something more with that, right? And here's this family who Jesus knows well. And their brother Lazarus is sick. And not just like the, I got the sniffles kind of sick. Not like, oh, I might be coming out with the flu or something. No, sick enough that they would send a messenger to Jesus to tell him. And yet, right away we start to notice something, that, that these are people who Jesus loves. They're close friends of his. And they, they don't send a message begging for him to come. They just assume he's just going to hear the story. Hey, Lazarus is sick. That's all they need to say. I mean, for sure, Jesus loves us so much, he'll just hear that Lazarus is sick and he'll make his way to do what he can do. And and Jesus loved Lazarus so much. Listen, they didn't even say his name. They just said, the one you love is sick. I mean, think about that. That's like if you get a message and someone says to you, hey, hey, your best friend is really sick. Do you know who I'm talking about? so, so, So Jesus is told, the one you love is sick. And if we don't know that this whole idea of, of what's going on, look at verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. There, that's super clear, right? If we can't pick it up from the clues, we just so plainly said there that Jesus loves this family. But wait a minute, wait a minute. This family's in trial. I mean, they're facing some serious struggle. And, and yet here we're saying, what, but Jesus loves them. I mean, have you heard this ever before? Where someone would say, listen, listen, if you're sick, you must not have enough faith. If you're going through trial, maybe you've done some, maybe you've got sin in your life because God's not gonna put you through trial if he loves you. And for sure, can sin lead to sickness? Yes, it can, but it's not always the case. Lazarus was loved by Jesus and yet he was sick. Mary and Martha, loved by Jesus, and here they are suffering Now, why would God do that? Why would God allow this suffering? If he loved them, why? Now, here's the thing. They're in this trial. They know where to turn, right? What do they do? They go straight for Christ. They give their problem to Jesus, and I I love it. They just say the problem. They, They don't say, here's the problem. You've got to come heal him. They just say, Lazarus is sick. They assume, Jesus, you're going to step in and do what's right. And they leave the problem in Jesus' hands. And how often do you find yourself in that place where the trial is so difficult, you don't even know what to ask for? The only thing you can do is say, Lord, help. I don't know what to pray. It was just uh, this Friday, I got a call from one of our church family members. And they were calling to to express this, this deep crisis, as deep of a crisis as you could imagine. 
And I asked, hey, hey, can I come over? Can I, can I come and, and be with you guys in this? And, and then they, they said this person talked to me, listen, we know you love us. It's, it's not a good time right now, but we wanted to call just so we could know that you're praying for us in this. I got to tell you, I'm, look, I might be a pastor, but there are times when I have no idea what to pray. This is one of those times I didn't know what to pray. I'm like, man, I want to pray with them on the phone right now, and I want to have this, this great pastoral prayer, and maybe they'll get comfort. I didn't know what to say other than, Lord, help. Listen, I, I don't believe that there are certain people who know how to work the system with God. Like, oh, you know what? If I just get this person to pray, they got like the key to unlock. They know exactly the right words to say. They can say the special prayer. They've got some secret they found. They did draw a circle around it. Now I got it. And I can pray these things. I pray it this many times. I say this exact phrasing and God's going to step in because I've got the secret to it. I don't believe that that's in scripture anyway. And I would say this, some of the sweetest times in prayer are when we come empty, even empty of words. And we just say, Jesus, we need you to work. And we call out. And here in Luke 11, they just called out. Sorry, here in John 11, they just called out. And we do that, why? Because we're told in, in the Gospel of Luke, we're told that God is not like our earthly fathers. Our heavenly fathers, not like our earthly dads. God never gets annoyed when we keep asking for help. God's never gonna say, oh man, like I've heard this already. You've asked about this. Like let's move on to something else. No, God says, come all who are burdened and cast your cares on me. Keep praying. Keep writing in the friendship register. I know there's some of you, you write the same prayer request every time. And I, I know this because you say this to me. You say, Man, I'm sorry I keep asking for the same thing. Don't ever say sorry. Keep praying. Keep asking. It's, it's such a, a, a blessing that we get to pray with you even through those same prayer requests over and over again. When I, the last ministry that I, I was a part of was a school. And one of our students, his name was Phil. And we would have chapel twice a week. And every time we'd ask for prayer requests. And Phil asked for the same thing every time. He said, could you pray for my brother Luke? Every time. Pray for my brother Luke. Pray for my brother Luke. Pray for my brother Luke. Every time. It, it was, the, the year was going on and he, he started asking, man, are you guys annoyed that I keep asking you guys to pray for my brother Luke? No, we'll just keep praying. We'll just keep going. So what happens to Luke? Luke, over the year, Luke's life goes further and further and further down, spiraling out of control. By the end of the year, Luke ends up in federal prison. He was involved in a drug bust. He had took a gun out of a police officer's hands and put the gun in the officer's mouth, threatening to shoot him. What happened? You don't, I mean, things go bad for you at that point, right? Luke ends up in federal prison. Phil keeps saying, pray for my, pray for my brother. Pray for my brother. Halfway through the next year, this is the awesome part. What did we see? Luke found Jesus in jail. I mean, how cool is that? Like, don't stop. Amy, you can clap for that. One person clapping is awkward. So maybe more, right? <laughs> yeah, right on. Right? Jesus brings the resurrection. And sometimes it's going to come in those places we never expected it to come. So we got to visit Luke in prison and him sharing, here's what God's doing in my life. Him witnessing to other inmates. Keep praying. Keep writing in the friendship pressure. Keep calling out to God. Look at Jesus' response in verse 4. But when Jesus heard it, he said this. He said, this illness does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. He said, this illness does not lead to death. Here's something cool about that. Jesus already knew what was going on. He knew the trial. I mean, how encouraging is that to know that Jesus already knew? When things are tough, don't we want people to know? I mean, some of you are like, you're really private people. You're like, no, I don't want anybody to know, but you're, you're going to tell one or two people, like close people. Some of you are like, no, man, I'm going to tweet it out, Facebook it out, mass email it out. Hey, what's up? I want you to know about my trial, right? And that's okay, because you want people to pray for you and to come alongside you. We want people to know about it, but how comforting is it to know that the creator of the universe already knows? We can bring our cares to him. 
And he knows and he loves you. And in the midst of a trial, there might be so many unanswered questions. There may be things that are going in ways that you don't want it to go. But there's one thing you can know, one thing you can trust is this. Jesus loves you, Jesus knows, and he has a purpose. We could ask, why would people suffer if they're loved by Jesus? What could the purpose be? Well, he said something interesting in this verse. You see what he says there? He says, what is this all about? It's for the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified through this trial. He gives them hope. He says, here's your hope. This isn't going to lead to death, but he doesn't give them the whole story. I mean, rarely we get the whole story, but he does give them hope, and he gives them a purpose. He says, here's the purpose of all of this. It's for the glory of God. It's so that Jesus will be glorified. Now, when we say that God's glorified or Jesus glorified, that's kind of a Christian word. What's that mean for God to get glory, to be glorified? Well, being glorified, really all it means is to exalt something and to make that something amazing in the eyes of those who are seeing it. That's how we glorify things. We do it all the time. We, we glorify sports teams. We glorify our stuff. We glorify a band. We might glorify a restaurant. I mean, you gotta try this restaurant. It's so good. That's us glorifying it. And Jesus is saying here, this tragedy is gonna show you and those around you how awesome I am. I mean, it's so important because we, we need to get a hold of that. Why would they be going through this suffering? Because here, here's what Jesus does next. Look at what he does. Verse six. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. Now, wait, wait a minute. Did you catch what's going on here? Jesus loves Lazarus and Mary and Martha. Lazarus is sick and dying. Mary and Martha are distraught. And so what does Jesus do? Hangs out for a couple days. He doesn't do anything. He doesn't act at all. Listen, I, I would never say that I'm the greatest pastor in the world, but I do get this. If somebody calls me and says, listen, my so-and-so is dying in the hospital. Would you come to the hospital? Yeah, I might get there sometime this week. I mean, we wouldn't do that, right? Or, or take it one step further, take it to somebody who you deeply love and know. If, if my wife calls me, if Libby phones me and goes, Kai, I need you to call me right away. And I go, well, let me see if I can pencil you in for Thursday. Right? I, yeah, it's not a good thing to do, right? I, I haven't married that long, but married long is no bad plan, right? So what's going on here? I mean, think about what's going on for Lazarus. As he's sick, and he said, did you, did you tell Jesus? Did you send the message to Jesus? Yeah, we sent it to him. Well, where is he? I mean, think about Mary and Martha. Where's Jesus? We, we asked for him to come. I mean, he heals strangers. Think about what the friends around them were probably saying. In fact, you don't have to wonder. Flip over to verse 37. You can, you can read what those around them were saying. Verse 37, but some of them, these are the mourners that are with them, said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have also kept this man from dying? I mean, there are so many lies that bombard us about God when we're in trials. And these lies can come from people around us, from our own hearts, from, from just as we start to think through what's going on. Maybe God's not powerful enough to work here. Maybe God doesn't love me. But listen, there's another perspective here. God is almighty. God does love you. He does see your trial, but he also sees a bigger picture than we see, a bigger picture than we could ever imagine. In fact, Oswald Chambers said it this way. He says, sometimes it looks like God is missing the mark because we're too short-sighted to see what he's actually aiming for. Some of you think, God, God, you're missing it here. And God's like, no, 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 I'm not even aiming for that. I've got something deeper, something greater that I'm aiming for. In fact, look at verse six again. It says, so when he heard Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer. It says, so, therefore, because. It's because he loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus that he waited. He had a plan. He had a purpose. God's timing is absolutely perfect. 
And this can be one of the hardest things for us to do in the Christian life. It is so hard to wait when it seems like God isn't acting. And I want him to act and I want him to do it this way, the way I think's the best way. But what happens when God doesn't act? What happens when he doesn't follow my timetable and how I want things to go? Here's the truth. God is never late. God is never early. God is always arriving precisely when he needs to. God's never late. God's never early. He always arrives precisely when he needs to. It's not like God is up in heaven unaware of what's going on, kind of just chilling out with angels who are worshiping him. He's up there also like, oh, wait a minute. Kai prayed a little while ago about something. Ah, totally forgot. Kai, you should have prayed longer. Man, you only prayed two hours this morning instead of your regular five-hour morning prayers. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> five-hour morning prayers, right? But right, it's not like he's gonna, he's gonna say, look, Jesus knew what was happening. Jesus loved them. He's never late. He's never early. He's always perfectly coming on time when he needs to be there. So what's it mean? How does Jesus love us if this is what's happening? We need to understand what love really means. Love means this. It means giving us what we need most. And what we need most is not just healing. We need most is to fully experience the glory of God. Love means this, that Jesus is going to bring to us that which brings us our fullest and our longest and our deepest joy. What will give us that? What gives us our fullest joy, our deepest joy? Seeing, experiencing, treasuring Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying here. Because God is the greatest treasure in the universe. So the most loving thing for him to do is to show us that treasure, is to reveal himself to us. And so Jesus, because he loves them, willing to allow them to walk through this horrible trial. Why? Because he wants to give them something greater. That they would find their complete and total satisfaction in Christ alone. And so often God's going to bring us to that end of ourselves where we no longer can hold on on our own. It's beyond our grip. Why? Because beyond that, we get to see his glory, that our eternal hope is in him alone. And, and sometimes we need, to, we need to realize through trial that my hope isn't in these finances that I'm losing. My hope isn't in my health. My hope isn't in these relationships around me. And so, God, rather than letting us build our life on these unstable foundations, these things that are broken foundations, he's showing us, listen, your ultimate good, your ultimate joy, your ultimate hope is found in him alone. And here's the thing. Jesus didn't just let Lazarus die for this. Jesus died for this. 1 Peter 3.18 says, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? That he might bring us to God. I love how Warren Wearsby says it. He says this, Jesus' love is not a pampering love. It's a perfecting love. Jesus constantly at work. And sometimes, man, this doesn't feel like love. Jesus, you're not acting. Listen, he's constantly at work on this deeper level of perfecting our hearts, of bringing us something deeper, a deeper joy, an eternal hope of seeing and treasuring God. Taking us beyond our own wisdom, taking us beyond our own strength, taking us beyond our own ability, taking us beyond this place of being able to figure this whole thing out and put everything in order. No, because we get to this place where we only can rely on one thing, the glory of Christ and Christ alone. And we recognize in that moment that a waiting season with God is never a wasted season. Jesus knew the most loving thing he could do for his friends was to open their eyes so they could see that he's the promised savior they've been waiting for. It's the greatest gift he could give, that that we could see God more clearly. Our life is full of trials. So here's our second point this morning. It's this, Jesus is our hope in these trials. Jesus is our hope in trials. 
Here, Jesus begins this journey to Lazarus. Look at verse seven. After he said to his disciples, he said, hey, let's go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were now seeking to stone you and you're gonna go there again. Like uh, Jesus, I remember just a little while ago, and if you read the book of John, you see that just before this account, what happened was Jesus, they attempted to stone him. They attempted to pick up rocks and kill him with rocks. And they're like, uh, uh, Jesus, like we're following you. We get that you're in charge. You're the rabbi. You're our Lord. Is this a great idea? To go back to that place they want to kill us? And Jesus says this in verse nine. He answered, are, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Jesus is saying, listen, listen, you're walking in the light. He's not talking about physical light anymore. He says, the light that is in you. He goes, you're following me. You're walking in God's will. And when you're following me, you're completely in my hands. And sometimes we're called to such difficult places. But listen, when you're called there by Jesus, let's just do it. I mean, forgive that person, but it's so hard. We step out because listen, I'm walking in the light. I'm gonna forgive. We stand up for the truth. We take that step of faith. We act out in generosity. We, we rest our lives on the promises of God's word. In fact, I was listening to a sermon just this week on, on this passage by a Romanian pastor. And he was a pastor in Romania in the 60s and 70s when Romania was under communism. And he said this. He said, in Romania, if you could have given me five Christians who were not afraid to die, not afraid to preach the gospel, I believe with all my heart we'd have, we could have taken over Romania for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Here's the problem. He says, I believe if we only had five people. He's saying, listen, it doesn't matter how many Christians we gather up. It doesn't matter how many Christians fill the church. It doesn't matter how many Christians join the mission that we're called to. He says this, if they're afraid of death, if they're afraid of loss, they will accomplish nothing. Listen to what he's saying. Listen, Harvest Muskoka, it doesn't matter how big we get as a church. It doesn't matter. It may be, I can't believe how, how that thing's growing in, in, in Little Muskoka and look at that church. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many people we cram into this room. If we have fear, if we have fear what we'll lose if we step out into the light on mission with the gospel, if we have fear for what we lose, if we have fear, we are completely ineffective. We're walking in the dark. We want to see Muskoka and Perry Sound and the world turned upside down for the gospel. We step out into those places that seem so difficult. Why? Because the safest place for us to be is in the center of God's will. To lead our families, to love our spouses, to, to, to serve, to follow Christ wherever he leads. I mean, can you get to a place where you say, listen, I don't need comfort. I don't need safety. I don't need convenience. I need obedience. I need to be where Jesus is. Jesus goes on, verse 11. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Now he's using a common phrase in that time where you would say, you wouldn't say somebody dies, you'd say they've fallen asleep. We kind of say that nowadays too. And especially, listen, if you know Jesus, death is not the end. You're just going to sleep to be awoken again in a new life. So he says he's gone to sleep. But the disciples, and I think they're still worried about being stoned, right? So worry about death. They say in verse 12, the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Like, hey, if he's sleeping, like, like, let's not risk our lives. Go wake him up. Let him rest. Rest is good when you're sick. Let him sleep. And then Jesus gets super clear and blunt. Look what he says in verse 13. Now Jesus had spoken of his death. They thought he meant taking a rest and sleep. Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. He's dead, boys. Verse 15. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. So you may believe. Let us go to him. That's a tough verse. He says, I'm glad I wasn't there to save Lazarus. I'm glad that he died is really what he's saying. But listen, remember his purpose. Remember his plan. His whole plan, what? Is that he would be glorified. And what's his plan here? He goes, that you would believe. 
The people will see who I really am is what Jesus is saying. He says, for your sake, this happened. For your sake. I'm glad that it's happened this way. You could take that phrase, for your sake, and just put it over Christ's entire ministry, couldn't you? For your sake, Jesus left the glory of heaven to come to earth. For your sake, he was persecuted and suffered. For your sake, he was, he was beaten and tried and hung on a cross. For your sake, he rose again from the grave. And he's at work right now for your sake, for his glory, for your good. Look at Thomas's response when, when Jesus says, let's just go, we're going now. And Thomas called the twin. Remember this guy we call Doubting Thomas? Look what he says here though. Said to his fellow disciples, let us go that we may die with him. That's awesome, I love that, right? I can imagine you're in heaven hanging out with Thomas. Hey Thomas, remember you were the doubter? He's like, really? John 11, man, verse 16, I'm the one who said, let's go. It's such a great verse. Okay, we're gonna do this. Let's roll. So Jesus shows up, verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Four days, Lazarus has been dead. Now, this is important. In Jewish tradition, they believed this. They had this, this, this belief that when somebody dies for three days, the spirit kind of hovers over them. Right, kind of like Princess Bride, they're not really dead. Remember that, right? They're not totally dead yet. But by the fourth day, they believe then, man, now you're totally dead. You are fully dead. Mostly dead? No, you're way dead, all the way. The, the great enemy of death had seemingly won. You know, we're gonna see here that Jesus conquers death. We're gonna see him do it here in John 11. We're gonna, we're gonna see him then carry on and through his own death, conquers death forever. So as Christians, we don't have to fear death anymore. Because here's where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? Like it's, it's not about, oh, oh, here's a belief system that you can feel better during your day. It, it just helps me out in my life. I, mean, I could care less about feeling good about what today has. I want to know what happens at the end. I don't care about some self-help thing or some religion that makes me feel like a good person. I want to know what happens after death. I mean, the world tries to put lipstick on a pig with this, don't they? They keep saying, no, 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 like, like your memory lives on. Oh, she's still with us in spirit. Right, Celine Dion belts out, right? My heart will go on. Remember that, right? Yeah, I'm pretty much like Celine Dion. I get it. Like, oh, Celine Dion, it's so beautiful as you sing that. No, it's not. You die, but your heart apparently goes on. What does that even mean? I remember watching Titanic, remember? And Jack, he lets go, right? And, and, and he's getting, Rose can't pull it. There's enough space on that thing. He could have got up there, don't you think? But Rose, like, okay, see you later, right? And he dies, the song is sung. It's so beautiful, really. I mean, what's the point? I don't care if my heart goes on. I want to have a firm hope. What happens after I die? And Jesus comes and gives us that hope that through his death and his resurrection, we don't have to face the punishment of death for our sin because Jesus took on that punishment for us. He guaranteed new life in his resurrection as he conquered sin and death. And if you put your faith in Christ, where this morning you say, you know what? I've given everything else up to follow after Jesus. Listen, you don't need to fear death. You know what the next world holds for you. You will die once, but then you'll be risen again and spend eternity with Christ. You won't die the second death, as scripture calls it. For those who don't know Christ, where, where not only do you die now, but you die again, eternally separated from God for eternity in hell. But through Christ, there's new life. And listen, this isn't just something we made up so we can feel good on a Sunday. Like you come here every week and I kind of go, hey, the resurrection, huh? Go have a good Sunday, <laughs> right? No, that's not it at all. There's a, a truth to this. There's a reality to this. A fact you can put your trust in, that Jesus died and rose again. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus begins to press in on Mary and Martha about this. 
Verse 17, Jesus came, he found Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. Verse 18, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews would come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brothers. So when Martha heard Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. She starts off in despair. Lord, if, I mean, if, if you'd been here, if you had come earlier. I mean, how often do we live our lives in the if world? If only I had. And, and we spend so much time living in the past, living in regret, living in despair. If only I had done this, if only I had said that, if only I hadn't done this, if only I was more like this. And it's a life of despair, a life of regret, looking back. And I'm telling you, Satan so desperately wants to keep you looking in that direction. He wants you to keep looking at your past. He wants to stop you from looking up and seeing Jesus Christ at work. He wants to see your shortcomings. He wants to see you where you fail, where you go, if only I had. Because while we're doing that, we're not looking to see Jesus at work. And praise God, Martha doesn't stay in the if. She then moves on to this amazing statement in verse 22. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Faith pours in. Jesus says to her in verse 23, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. She goes, I know that. Like, I, I know my Bible, Jesus. I, I know there is a resurrection coming. I'm sure all those around her, what do you do when you're consoling people? When people die in the Lord, you're going, you're gonna see them again. They're, they're in heaven now. I can't wait to be reunited. She's like, I get that, Jesus. But it's not working right now. It's not taking care of this pain. It still hurts. But Jesus wasn't talking about someday he will rise again. He was talking about today, that there's going to be victory and resurrection today. And how often have we seen that happen in the life of our church? Where there's no hope and Jesus shows up with resurrection power today. Or there are people who give testimony and say, you know what, the doctors gave us no hope to ever have kids. We called out to the Lord, do you want to meet my baby boy? Right? Because, but Jesus steps in. Or even more amazing than, than those stories, you, uh, just last Sunday, you're able to hear stories, testimonies of people saying, I was lost without hope. I was dead in my sin, buried in my addictions. I was lost and blind, but Jesus, and now I'm alive. I've been changed. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who believes, who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He takes out the someday, puts it in the now. He goes, no, 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 Martha, look, you're looking beyond me. Look at me. I am the resurrection, Jesus says. There is spiritual life in me that is eternal and you can have this today. I love it in 2 Corinthians 4, 16, it says the outer shell, our, our outer body is wasting away, but we're being renewed each day. What is that? We're being resurrected every day, changed more into Christ. I mean, any of you feel the, the effects of that outer wasting away? Anybody? Anyone with me on this one? You're so wasting away, you can't even raise your hand. That's how wasted away you are, right? I remember when I was like a teenager, I could stay up till 2, 3 in the morning, down a couple pizzas, a few Big Macs, wake up at 6 a.m. to go to an early morning basketball practice and kill it running, right? I can't do that. The outer is wasting away. And Scripture saying, yeah, that's going to happen. But there's new life in Christ. Listen, growing older doesn't necessarily make you wiser and nicer. I think we have this ideal that we think, oh, you know what, as people grow older, I mean, I'm just going to get older and, and start baking cookies for people and just loving everybody and just going to be this kind person in my rocking chair and be so nice. Like, I know some older people like that, but I also know some who are nowhere near like that. Right? It doesn't just happen. You don't get older and become someone different. You become more of who you already are, right, outside of Jesus Christ. 
It's why they're old people who are grumpy and angry and complaining, but it's also why it's such a testimony of Jesus Christ that there are people who you see and you're like, man, that person's body is wasting away. They're in pain, they're sick, they're hurting, yet they've got life. They have this joy. Why? Because it's the Spirit of God in their life, resurrecting. Yeah, we're promised a future resurrection, but listen, listen, this morning there's a resurrection right now. You can be made new today. Now, are you experiencing that resurrection today? Or do you find yourself growing more bitter, more cold, more fearful, more falling into sin? Listen, here's the great news of Jesus today, of God's word this morning, that Jesus is in the business of making new creations, that there is resurrection power for you today. He is the resurrection of life. And he asked this, do you believe this? He asked Martha, do you believe this? He asked you this morning, do you believe this? Not does your church believe this? Not do your folks believe this, not do the people around you believe this, not did you used to believe this, but right now, do you believe this? Martha believes. Verse 27, she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, who's coming into the world. Verse 28, and when she said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went and she runs to Jesus. Now, Jesus has not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, those who were mourning with her, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Sounds familiar, right? Same thing Martha said. This isn't something they were just kind of thinking. This is obviously something that over the last four days they've been talking about. Man, if Jesus had only been here, He wouldn't have died. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. This phrase there, greatly troubled, it's actually a really strong term. In fact, literally it means he snorted like a horse. That's kind of the, 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 the picture, the word picture of that word in the Greek is that he was angered by this. He's angry. He's angry at sin. He's angry that sin came in and vandalized the peace, the shalom of creation. He's angered that that sin now is hurting his friends. Angered that it caused his good friend Lazarus to die. So what does he do with this anger? Look at verse 34. And he said, where have you laid him? He said, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, Jesus wept. He's angered by sin. Listen, we should sometimes feel that same anger, shouldn't we? When we see injustice in the world, Jesus is the only one who has the ultimate right because he had no cause for the sin and he's angered by it. Where does he take it? He goes and he weeps. It doesn't say he cried. It says he wept. This isn't just a little cry. This is sobbing uncontrollably, gut-wrenching weeping. But we could stay on that verse forever, couldn't we? That Jesus Christ, the creator of the universe, the Lord of our life, that, that Jesus, who is 100% God and 100% man, he's felt our pain and understands our pain to the point that he's weeping. I mean, Jesus gives us uh, such a great example here, doesn't he? We don't always have to be the strong one. We don't always have to come in with all the right answers. There are times when you're walking with somebody through pain and suffering where it's the most appropriate thing to just weep with them. There might be more spoken in that moment of weeping than you ever could say with words. So I'd ask this, have you wept? Have you wept over, over people's hurts and pains? Have you ever wept over sin? Sin that you see in our world? Have you wept over the sin in your own hearts? Have you wept over the sin and the brokenness and the hurt of our community? 
Have you wept over your call to be a light in this world? Before God raised the dead, it began with tears. Here we go, though, verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb, and it was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time, there'll be an odor. He's been dead for four days. This is a a hot climate. So what they would do when you die, they would wrap your body in all these linens and all these spices to try to keep the body from not stinking. She's like, it's been four days. I grew up in church as a kid. I remember the old King James. Anybody remember that? This verse in the old King James is great. It says, he stinketh. I love that, right? (laughs) Don't open up, he stinketh. Trying to make stank sound very, oh, stinketh, right? What are they doing? They're still struggling, aren't they? Martha says, okay, this is great. Jesus, I'm glad you're here. You're going to bring the resurrection, but wait. Here's the cool thing about that. Martha doesn't have huge faith. Jesus still moves. She's got little faith, and Jesus still acts. Verse 40, Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. I've heard it said by preachers before that if he didn't say Lazarus, like dead bodies would be coming out of the grave all over the place, right? He had to, no, no, just Lazarus is what I'm talking to. Right? That's the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse 44, the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth and, cloth, and Jesus said to them, unbind him, let him go. Listen, this morning as we close, don't look past Jesus. He is the resurrection and the life. There is a resurrection for you even this morning. As the worship team comes up, I'm gonna ask you to just bow your heads for a minute. I want to ask you this morning, where does this promise of victory in life need to revive you this morning? Maybe this morning your soul is dead. You've been coming to church, you've been checking it out for a while, but you've never made that decision to to say, I believe, I do believe that you are the resurrection and the life, and I want to put my whole hope and trust and life in that. I want to follow you, Jesus. Listen, there is no life apart from Jesus Christ. So maybe that's you this morning. You say this morning, I want the resurrection to happen today in my life. I want to trust in Christ alone because I believe If this is you, today's your day to come out of the tomb. Or maybe for you, you're like, no, I've done that. I've made a decision to follow Christ, but you know what? I've I've never been baptized. I've never followed through in obedience, and and I've never professed it publicly as Jesus has asked me to. And I don't know why. I don't know whether it's my pride or fear. I don't know why I've never done this, but follow through this morning. I want to say, I want to get baptized. I want to feel that. that I want to step forward in that obedience to have that resurrection in my life. Maybe some of you, you're like, no, man, I'm a follower of Christ. I've been baptized, and yet I so desperately need a fresh touch from the Lord this morning. I need his resurrection power in my life. I, I need him in my marriage. I need my marriage to be revived and I'm calling out for him to to do something new. Maybe you need to forgive somebody this morning and your heart is so filled with bitterness and it's dying and and you say, I want new life and I I want the power of Christ to help me to be able to, to release this to him and to step forward in forgiveness. Maybe for you this morning, it's confessing sin heart is so filled with this sin. You're like, Lord, I just need to get this out. I need to confess this. I need to, I need to not even just confess to you, Lord Jesus. I need to grab somebody. Scripture says, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. Maybe you've just been in a dry spot for a time. Saying, I just need new life. 
I'm coming to church, I'm doing all the things that you kind of do when you're following Jesus, but I just don't feel this power that, that we keep talking about. I, I, I feel apathetic, I, I feel bored with this, I, I feel... Jesus saying, would you just come out? Do you believe? Maybe this morning you're under a trial. desperately need, need the resurrection power of Jesus to step into that trial. This morning, you'd be able to call out to God, say, God, I don't even know what to say, but I need you. Here's what I want to do this morning. I want to give you an opportunity to step out in humility. To step out in, in this, this humble way to express, I need Jesus. Uh, I don't know what uh, I'm supposed to do with this. I don't know where to go with this, but I know that I need Jesus. And, and here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. If, if that's you this morning, when we stand to worship, I'm gonna ask you to come forward. And coming forward, there's nothing magical about it. It's just a, an outward act. You're saying, I wanna be so humble before my Lord that I'm willing to, to even be embarrassed in front of people as I come forward and get on my knees to say, I can't do this. I need Jesus. You say, I don't have the ability, but I do have this. I have faith that Jesus has come and he is the resurrection and he is the life. Where you can come and get on your knees and say, I need your power. I need your presence. I need your resurrection in my life. I need your glory to be revealed this morning, Lord Jesus. Here's the message that they sent to Jesus. They said, Jesus, the one you love is sick. Notice they didn't say, Jesus, the one who loves you. Listen, Jesus acting on your behalf, it's not about how much you love him, about how much you're obedient to him. Listen, you step out in faith because you trust that Jesus, you love me. My half-hearted love for you will always only be half-hearted. But, but Lord Jesus, I want to step forward because you love me. You adopted me. You changed me. And you can call out in faith on the one who's poured out his love on you. Let me pray. Would you stand with me? And as, as I pray, I'm gonna ask if elders and small group leaders, if you would come forward even right now. And if you wanna come forward even now before I'm done praying because you just wanna get on your knees and give this to the Lord, I'm gonna ask you also, come forward right now. Come forward now to, to, to leave this at the cross. If you need to grab one of these people up here and say, I just, I gotta pray with you. They're gonna be right up here. They're gonna come right up along the front here. If you need to pray with somebody, they'd love to pray with you. Let me pray. Lord God, I thank you. I thank you that your glory is so revealed in the resurrection. And that even this morning, God, you're wanting to do a work, a, a work of resurrection in the lives of those of us here, God. And that you can do it, Lord. That because of your death, in our place, because of your resurrection, that there is new life. There's new life for those who are lost in sin this morning. If only they come forward and say, Lord, I wanna follow you. That you can, you can take hearts that are hard and bring new life to them. That you can step in in trials and bring healing and hope and joy that's deeper than anything we've ever experienced. Lord God, I pray for that this morning. And we trust you that you can do this, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.